Welcome to Cult and Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to yet another episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. I am your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. First, I want to say like and subscribe. It helps us and, uh, you know, it, I, it'll throw good karma your way, I promise. And check us out on cultandclassicfilms.com where you can get all sorts of neat goodies from our shop, join our mailing list, all that jazz. Okay, so today we are doing part one of what I like to call Fight Dirty. These are uh, two movies that are martial arts movies, very different, but both of them have some dirty fighting. We're going to open this week with 1995's Rumble in the Bronx with the legendary Jackie Chan. I'm really excited to talk about this. Before we get into it, I'll introduce our panelists. We have with me the lovely Corinne Porter, who, full disclosure, is also my wife. How are you doing, Corinne? I like the full disclosure. Like, just in case I say something that could be construed as sexual harassment, you're like, it's okay, we're married. I'm also the <laughs> HR department, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have with us longtime contributor Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? I broke my ankle. Ah, uh, well, it's okay. I will give you a uh, a printed sock sleeve for it. We'll talk about this later. And how are you doing, Mandy? Mandy Longley is joining us as well. Um, I did not break my ankle, and I do all my own stunts. Oh, uh, yeah. There is so much to talk about this movie. I so first off, full disclosure, of course, yet another one. I love this movie. Uh, I I try and pull movies that. Have a lot to talk about um that i'm not super uh, i would say fan person about but this one is one of those that i am i remember seeing this in the theater uh, 1995 jackie chan was not well known in the united states of course we had badly dubbed uh, hong kong actioners martial arts films uh, half a loaf of kung fu things like that that he was a star in many of which were low budget shot on the same lots with the same cast members just slightly different stories over and over again but they're they were impressive uh and the u.s distributors finally realized hey this is a good market so golden harvest who and raymond chow who produced so many hong kong films martial arts and otherwise uh went and said okay we'll do this movie to break into the u.s market so it is kind of a co-production not really U.S. co-production. There might have been, I think there was some production money in there, but uh, the movie's supposed to take place in the Bronx, uh, but it's actually filmed in, in Victoria, Canada. So uh, and it's not, I wouldn't call it an American co-production. It's also very clearly Hong Kong, even though there are some uh, Canadian cast members and the like, it's a Hong Kong movie through and through. It was the first big release to theaters for Jackie Chan, and it introduced the U.S. to him in a big way. It was a big success. Uh, it, it, it won lots of awards in Hong Kong, and it launched the Jackie Chan media machine uh, that, that sort of gave us all sorts of movies. Quickly following this was Jackie Chan's first strike. Then we got imports of Super Cop, uh, Super Cop 2, things like that, that ultimately led to U.S.-produced films like the you know, a Rush Hour and Shanghai Noon and the sequels and uh, later Tuxedo and some films that maybe didn't do so well. Uh, but, you know, there's no denying that Jackie Chan did amazing work and still is doing films. Now, he's not doing American films for the most part. He became jaded with the American market, according to him. He's, he recently had a, a book come out, My Life, and you can check that out for lots of details. But 
he was mad that he wasn't getting leading roles in the U.S. And uh, I, it, that's certainly understandable. Uh, he wasn't getting sort of dramatic roles either. There, he was only, you know, he's pigeonholed as a comedic physical actor here. And while that certainly is a big part in Hong Kong, he could get dramatic leads. He was in um, uh, the, the sort of reboot of Police Story uh, some years back, Shinjuku incident, very serious, gritty uh, stuff. So he's had a lot more opportunities there, uh, but he's still making films. So to set this movie up, the plot is very much like uh, several Bruce Lee films. Jackie Chan is from Hong Kong. He comes to the U.S. to help a family member. In this case, he comes to uh, go to his uncle's wedding. His uncle owns a small like, convenience store, uh, Mart in the Bronx, and is actually in the process of selling it to a younger woman who has her sights on Jackie Chan. His character's name is Kong Kyung. And uh, from there, Jackie Chan ends up ruffling the feathers of some, I guess I'll call them a biker gang. Uh, but really, they don't actually drive like motorcycles. They drive dirt bikes and dune buggies uh, with, with LED lights. It's, it's pretty wild. It's a very um, multi-ethnic, very open uh, racially gang as we're used to from the 90s. And uh, yeah, so he runs afoul a of them. And then they, that gang runs afoul of a some sort of mafioso uh, type criminal organization who has a bunch of diamonds that are, are missing. So it's this big cluster where two criminal groups are fighting. Jackie Chan is in the middle. And sure enough, he kind of has, uh, uh, or rather she, a, a neighbor who is the lesser gang member's girlfriend, uh, she falls in love with him, we're to assume. And so it adds all this sort of tension. Everything wraps up in the end, but there is a body count. I love this movie. There is so much action. Anyone who's not familiar with Hong Kong cinema, you are doing yourself a disservice. Hong Kong cinema is known for what I would say, like three things. One, uh, action. It's very action-packed. Nothing is really slow. Two, they do like narrative conventions that uh, sometimes are cliche, but other times are really not. In this case, um, Kyung befriends the the neighbor kid who's in a wheelchair, and it turns out his older sister is the beautiful moth, uh, gang member's girlfriend, right? So these are, are coincidental that, you know, you could say it's a little contrived, but it works to add tension to the plot. So they, they use narrative conventions. And then the third one is the stunt work is unbelievable and also very dangerous. There's a reason why the U.S. action scene does not typically look as real, as raw, as exciting as the Hong Kong scene. And that's because there's, we're a very litigious country and uh, lawsuits, um, protect, protection for workers, I would say isn't debatable, but those reasons, a lot of these stunts would not be done this way. Okay, and we'll talk about, I'm sure many of them because this is a uh, extremely iconic Jackie Chan style movie. Okay, there's lots of bizarre materials, et cetera. So let's move right in. So let's start with you, Tad. I know you've seen this movie. What was your takeaway watching Rumble in the Bronx 1995 again? I mean, it's a fucking Jackie Chan movie. What the fuck do you expect me to say? I, I, well, like, our listeners like, haven't talked to you about Jackie Chan. 
I love Jackie Chan films. And unfortunately, I haven't seen all of them, but there's also like what, over a hundred of them? There are a lot, a lot, yes. a lot of Jackie Chan movies. Uh, and many think... of them have been remarketed several times. So it's really hard to get the number right. Yeah, it's interesting because this wasn't my first Jackie Chan film. My first Jackie Chan film was Operation Condor, which is funny yes. because in actuality, that's the sequel to Armor of God because they did the whole like, it's the same problem that that Bruce Lee films had. They re, they distributed them and then they distributed them out of order and they're like, shit, we have to change the name. What the hell are we going to do? And they just did whatever the hell they want, whatever. This was, this is not my favorite Jackie Chan film. Although I do love this film, especially because it is a like this was made this was this actually made in 95 or was it distributed in 95 so i believe this was actually made in 95 or somewhere thereabouts uh there was actually a lawsuit uh involving i don't know if it was merrimax i, I might be getting the the production new line wrong, just probably but basically uh one company had had picked this up to distribute in 95 and the other company basically tried to scoop them and got the rights for Supercop, which was filmed in 92 and we're going to do a dub release of that in theaters to basically compete jackie chan movies against each other uh which you know it's a, it was a weird thing because they knew jackie chan was going to basically be a big hit um but it sort of makes sense to not have done that because you would only hurt your marketability later like why why would you pull your audience member in two separate directions? It, it didn't, didn't, it didn't make sense. So, uh, but that did happen. Anyway, continue. Point being, is that there is, there's a point in my life where I saw these. I started watching these movies, and it got me into Hong Kong cinema. But um, this feels like in '95. This feels like it's either actually made in like 1988 or is already a nostalgic homage to 80s cop buddy movies, except that Jackie doesn't have a buddy in this entire movie. In fact, almost no other character matters. So many, so many times people are introduced and I'm like, who the fuck is this? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of like watching a, uh, oh, what's her name? Now I feel embarrassed. Um, Cynthia Rothrock. It feels like a Cynthia Rothrock yes, movie. Yes, it certainly does. Where, where they just... She started in the 80s, but most of her movies were in the 90s in Hong Kong. Right. It's just, it's that whole like uh, many places feel sort of like the style is 10 years behind what the US is because everybody's sort of trying to copy. And so it does have that like late 80s, like 1988 kind of feel. This is this is the perfect movie for um, explaining to people why the, the the early to mid 2000s were so batshit with our media because they were emulating movies like this because halfway through the movie as is with most kung fu movies or any sort of action film in the in the 80s and 90s somewhere along the line halfway through you lose the narrative completely and it stops mattering at some point half the movie ends up being a chase. Like at least it felt like that. Uh -huh. It felt like feels like the there is a hovercraft chase in this film. Okay, let's get that <laughs> right out of the way right now. Yes. Not only that, the resolution to the hovercraft chase is Jackie Chan pulls out a serrated knife or sword out of a fucking shop somewhere that just happens to be there and literally kicks it against the car that he's driving with his foot and manages to slice open the hovercraft to stop it. Meanwhile, loved it. 
it's plowing cars over it's running people over in ways where nobody dies so it's more comedic than threatening and it's just like at some point you just go what the fuck am i watching and then you remember it's a jackie chan film <laughs> and you go carry on that's that's yes that's my summary very very much so uh, i think that's a pretty strong summary um i i think the ending you talked about the ending sort of being a big set piece actioner uh with the with the hoverboard and Corinne and I watched this together, of course, and, and discussed a similar thing. I do think you're right. It's that whole James Bond does this, right? The, the last chunk of movie, the last 20 minutes or so is usually some giant set piece where the plot, you know, it's going to resolve. There's no other path forward, but the resolution of the plot. So you instead get just a spectacle. It's and not only that, it's like, no, I didn't even mention like there's a hovercraft. There's a rock band. There's people running around in fuzzy suits. Nothing fucking <laughs> makes sense. But at the same time, it's uh, what? Downtown Bronx. So I guess it's like, well, of course this stuff's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Corinne, if you're watching online. Corinne's face. She looked at because that was you noticed that, right, Corinne? You kept saying like, wait, is there a circus? <laughs> it was the mid 90s and there's rock bands in the street. Of course there is. Your mic's not working. We might have unplugged. Tech, tech, you know what? It's a podcast. You're not paying for this, yeah. guys. You know? It was working. There I haven't go. touched anything. Yeah. Okay. It's good now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So they show the rock band. And at first, like, it's like under a bridge. At first, I thought it was going to be like, there was like a viral video in like 2008 of like a bunch of emo kids having their own rave underneath a bridge. And I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those. <laughs> And then it shows the hovercraft coming towards the rock band. I'm like, oh, wait, is the rock band going to blow the hovercraft away with the power of their rock? Is that what's going to happen? And I was really <laughs> excited for that because in the 80s and 90s, there's always rock bands. Patton Oswalt has this whole bit like the rock bands are always in a factory somewhere and the factory seems to make nothing but sparks. And then there's a woman somewhere else in the world and they blow off her clothes with the power of rock. I thought the power of rock was going to play into it. That would have been, I think just as logical as anything else that happened in this film. But yeah, then they cut back a few times. There's someone like doing, um, I don't know what you would call it, like fire choreography. There's a fire dancer. There's a guy in a green caterpillar suit. And I was like, wait, <laughs> I thought there was a, I'm like, I'm going back to, is there a rave going on under this bridge during the day? The weirdest part of that scene might be though, that the guy on stage, in the rock show points at the thing and goes a hovercraft only mildly concerned first of all he knew what it was on site which was the weirdest part of that scene i was like i would not have on site been like oh i know what that is i told nathan if i was in one of the cars i don't know if i would have gotten out of the way or even had time to be scared because i would have been like what am i looking at like he's like it's a hovercraft going down the street like hovercraft you know parade during more and more like i'm I'm sold. Um, those listening, if you haven't seen the river boat or like those swamp. Florida, it's like the it's, size of a city block. It's massive. It's, this, it's four lanes wide. This like, is the Titanic of boats. I don't know where they got this. It is. What it's used in movie. I'm not sure. It looks like it should be like a like a tugboat or a ferry that's going like to <laughs> yes. Staten Island or like something like significant. Set up of this, but that's okay. It's a uh, it's There's a also board. an and endless supply of windows <laughs> that need to be shot out, out by so the various villains. I, I was like, <laughs> are they repairing the windows as they go? Because I've lost count of how many windows have been shot out in this 20-minute <laughs> scene. Well, like I was mentioning to Corinne when we were watching it, 
there's like sort of in the 70s how there was this brief but powerful fascination with the trucking life right we got uh breaker breaker convoy with chris christopherson like we got these tons of these movies where truckers were like important and interesting and people loved semis and big rigs um in the 90s we did have like a brief like hoverboard like hover boat hover vehicle hover anything hover anything and you know you you could buy your rc cars from toys r us that were hover little hover vehicles um you could and every cartoon had one every cartoon uh ninja turtles they eventually had and they made the toy the um like the sewer hover i don't remember what they called it but it was a hover boat for the sewer um gi joe you had the swamp hover boats for like uh zartan's crew um just hover hoverboards it was like the gargoyles newest... has like a two to three episode arc that involves a, a giant hover ship that can also <laughs> become an aquatic totally <laughs> like exactly. submarine. it becomes a submarine it becomes an aquatic uh vehicle yeah it's just the 90s were like what if what if it hovered <laughs> and and it seems like people like it's sort of when something gets so popular people assume that it has to have some sort of brilliant function like also late in the 90s there was the idea that you could actually make a hover craft as a spinning ufo you remember those they actually made like uh various i think a couple of governments even made a couple of like um devices that were essentially flying saucers and they spun and they had some sort of hover capability but of course they don't work very well and they just kind of fumble around until they land on their side it's just it's a disaster you can look it up but it's one of those things where i think it's so People are so fascinated to become so popular that people who have the money to actually try and make things are like, let's do it. Like, this is a good idea because like 16 to 13 year olds everywhere uh, want to own their own hovercraft instead of a skateboard this year. Let's make a military hovercraft. It just makes no sense. Uh, it makes zero sense. And I'm kind of here for that insanity. And but there we go. That's the hovercraft of this thing now to the hovercraft's not by any stretch the most impressive thing in this movie um jackie chan and the fight scenes and the choreography is head and shoulders above mandy had you seen this movie before and what did what did you take away with this watch like the, the title is extremely familiar to me so i feel like i must have seen it at some point but it might have also just been some level of familiarity and having seen other jackie chan films like that, that that was it. Um, I certainly right. didn't remember the plot. I didn't remember like the dirt bikes going over like the parallel park cars down the street yep. in the Bronx, which Our I think introduction was, to the gang. Like that random weird scene and the um, barefoot water skiing, because yes. also super random but very impressive. Like were my two standouts like on this film. Um, just like I. And then just anytime I see like any Jackie Chan film, like the plot and like the other characters are always secondary. And just the fact that he is a human that exists, like is just the only thing that my brain can think about through the whole film is like, there's a human that can do all of this. And this doesn't make sense. Like I, I am completely awed by him and his talent. Um, and so it's always like, a treat to see one of his films like despite the plot or weirdness like like the stuff that doesn't make sense <laughs> or anything it's just like wow jackie chan is doing this thing and he is amazing all the time yes i agree and it you know this is one of those situations where as 
memoir, you know, people age in the entertainment industry, their memoirs come out and, you know, he's, he's had a lot of issues in the past five years with, um, you know, uh, having in his memoir also that kind of blew the top off it, but, uh, having had an affair, uh, on his long-term wife. And I believe he has quite a few children with other women out of, uh, you know, out of wedlock. It sounds such an antiquated term, but so there have been, there have been, uh, sort of troubles in his outside film persona but at the same time kind of like well yeah everybody wanted to have an affair with Jackie Chan he was like the most popular Hong Kong actor probably in the worldwide at least of all time and it's pretty amazing it's hard not, it's like every I loved this movie for Jackie Chan too because he was treated as a as a sex object in this movie which is kind of cool to see someone who's just because I mean, I don't think anybody would necessarily call him ugly, but he's not like, you know, he's not Chris Hemsworth to the U.S. Uh, market, right? Like he's not, they, there's a reason why they didn't really say, well, yeah, come in and star in, I don't know what movie you want to say. So don't, you know, come in and star in Magic Mike, right? It's not, it's not that he's unattractive. It's just that the U.S. Hollywood machine has a very specific ideal uh, for men and women to look. And yet he's treated by the women in this as like really sexy and he's super fit this is like the most muscled fit he's been and he's constantly shown in like undergarment onesies and um and like you if know, you're in a jumping. sleeveless shirt with the collar don't fuck don't do not fuck with the guy in that all right because no. he's gonna he's going to fuck you up yeah and i and i love that and and so i I don't know what to say. It was just it was nice to see, and also it was nice. I mean, he does he flexes, he's goofy as well, which is always kind of a um, a staple for Jackie Chan in in his most of his popular movies. As I said, he has done quite a few dramatic roles now, but this is what he's most known for. You know, he he's the lovable guy. He is a little maybe a little naive. Um, his character is very kind in this. His character goes out of his way not to. Um, not to seriously injure people. Um, he has several chances to shoot the bad guys, but he only shoots one person and it's in the leg after that person has shot someone in the leg. So it's sort of a, a you know, they had it coming. Um, he also has this great reconciliation moment with the small time gang leader after he's been attacked so many times or whatever and has a man, you know, one-on-one hand-to-hand fight with this guy. Finally, the guy, you know, has that turnaround moment where he's just like, forget it, stop, you win like you win and Jackie Chan's response to him is in Chinese uh, is like just just I hope the next time we see each other it's on friendly terms basically uh, he's like I hope it's over tea and I love that the the bad guy right has to like asks his friend who is presumably Cantonese says like what did he say and then he goes do you think he really meant it like <laughs> and it, it's interesting I believe it was Mark Actorstream who who played um that character tony and it was a nice moment and there's a couple of moments that i actually think while they may be melodramatic actually worked really well and and the one i think that stands out the most is uh we the audience have now seen before the characters do that um Kyung, the the jack chan's character has befriended the um wheelchair bound neighbor kid and we know his sister is in the gang that beat Jackie Chan up 
Jackie Chan does not know it, and the brother does not know it. Yet after he stumbles home bloodied and in need of care, she realizes this is the guy that's been nice to my brother. And she brings him in and takes care of him. And there's this really nice thing where, this is, I guess, a later scene, but it gets confused because they revisit the same sets multiple times, uh, which, again, the plot, yeah, okay. Uh, but <clears throat> Jackie Chan is in with the kid, and they're like, um, you know, my sister, are you here or whatever? And, of course, she is. She's in, like, this skimpy, I don't know, biker girl outfit, but she's hiding from them. And because she doesn't, she doesn't want Kyung to know that she's in the gang. Uh, and this is, of course, Francoise Yip, who is started as a political science major, became a model, and then uh, moved on to film. And the kid and Jackie Chan's character are talking, and basically it comes out that, like, my sister's not around a lot, and I miss her, and I don't know what she's doing all the time. And Jackie Chan's character is like, you know, she's working to take care of you. It sounds like your sister really loves you, you know, make sure you take care of her. And then the little boy says, like, just want to I don't know I, I feel jealous of other kids they can go out with their sister they can protect their family I can't walk I've never been able, you know and she starts to cry and she comes out revealing herself and is sobbing and holding her her brother and Jackie Chan she starts to apologize and he's like no don't say anything and he sort of just bygones be got bygones lets her off the hook immediately and it it tells us a lot about his character but also I thought it was a really sweet sort of believable moment for this this side character, the gangster's girlfriend, who it would be really difficult, but we get it a lot when it's like, oh, the hero of the movie's so awesome and hot that the 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 bad girl leaves the bad guy for him. And you're like, that's it's cliche. It's also super unrealistic. She's probably with the bad guy because she likes being bad and likes the bad guy, right? Like that's kind of the thing. But in this case, she, her complication with having a brother that she really loves. And seeing this guy be really kind to her brother and then not only that, but be so sort of kind as to let the fact that he was brutally beaten up in a scene that we'll talk about um, by the, by her gang, by her friends while she's there. to let that go. It's like a step above, right? Like I can totally see uh, falling for that character from that woman's perspective. And I think that's more complicated and a little smarter than so many other films that would do the same plot device of falling in love with the bad guy's girl. Um, in fact, again, to bring up James Bond, it doesn't seem on the surface like there's many parallels, but there are some. James Bond is like the absolute worst, uh, the films at least, the absolute worst for the bad woman falls for James Bond because she's just so hot. And I'm sorry, it's Sean Connery. And it gets a little less hot as he gets older. And as he talks more <laughs> about beating women, like it just, it didn't really fly. But in this, I believed it. They sold it. You know, Nate, um, do we know what the actual script was in Cantonese? Like, so there are some differences. Um, so I, this, is a, this is a really strange I'm curious thing. a little bit. So there's things that make actually it make more sense. Uh, for example, in the original, uh, in the original version, uh, which was recorded, Jackie Chan's character who's visiting is a Hong Kong police officer. So it makes certain things in this movie make a little more sense because, like how he deals when he's trying. At one point, his friends have been taken hostage, and the bad, the super bad guys want the diamonds that were stolen by the other gang. 
and Jackie Chan has them. And this just is a big mess, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but he's like, Jackie Chan is wired and he sort of breaks script from the police, what they want him to do. And he knows how to get what he thinks is the information. He wants to meet the big boss kind of thing. And it makes sense that, oh, he kind of has done this before to some extent. Okay, he's a, he's a law officer, not in the US. And if Hong Kong movies have taught me anything, Hong Kong police operations are a slight bit different. <laughs> and uh and the, it involves a lot more beating of witnesses uh without shame i'm not saying that the u.s doesn't be witnesses i'm saying that they potentially try and hide it uh at least before body cams <laughs> anyway don't pull me over i i don't have any money so uh, yeah uh it make that's the biggest change that i saw there also is more footage um i don't know so this is the dvd release very fascinating, this particular DVD release, because when it was originally in theaters, there was a dub that did not have Jackie Chan's voice. I have not found this anywhere online, but I know it for a fact because I saw it. Uh, I, it could be the Sinbad genie movie, like, fake out that everybody thinks they, that, if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's wild. Everybody thinks this movie exists, but it certainly doesn't exist, supposedly. It does exist. Uh, I saw it. I, that's what everyone says. There's no record. <laughs> there is no record, and uh, and Sinbad has said that he didn't make it. But they they keep saying it's an amalgamation of people's memories. People from, can just um, say that Shaq Fu doesn't exist, but it does, Nathan. Oh, Shaq Fu exists. It certainly does. I I don't disagree with you. I mean, I I don't disagree. I think there is as well. But people say it's just Kazam, and people forgot that Shaq and Sinbad aren't different people. Which, by the way, very different people okay uh any who's it's uh there was definitely a different dub of this where jackie chan did not speak his own lines the entire movie is adr um and the reason for that is there's two reasons the main reason is that many of the cast members they speak whatever language they speak in real life for their lines so some of them were speaking cantonese others um like uh francois yep uh were speaking english so instead of instead of do a insane subtitle mix that wouldn't make sense with the plot right because they have to understand each other they they adr the whole thing well like i said the version that hit theaters jackie chan's voice was not his voice it was very off-putting for someone who'd actually seen him speak in english uh because he has a very recognizable voice and and accent from you know going from Cantonese to English. So it was weird. But when we watched this one, which was, uh, which is the D direct DVD rip, the, it is his voice in almost all scenes. There are a couple of scenes in cars where I, it is not his, and it turns out it's actually director Stanley Tong um, dubbing those lines. It was clearly a sound issue, and I'm sure they did it later. Um, although he does a pretty good impression, I think, of Jackie Chan. But that's a weird mystery. Because the movie's totally dubbed, and there's definitely another dub somewhere where Jackie Chan does not do his lines, but the he does in this. Distractingly dubbed. It is, uh, it's especially weird for to black have, characters. It's. I don't know how many black people were dubbed by a white person in this movie, but I would think it's all of them, and that's weird. There's and, nothing. And it's. It's. It was. It was distracting, especially in the version where Jackie Chan is doing his own lines. And I'm watching characters' mouths move, and I know they're speaking English because I'm looking at their lips, and then the voice coming out is for sure not their voice. It is it's, 
it's what white people think black people sound like and i was like yeah it's a lot of uh people voicing aunt jemima who shouldn't be um (laughs) either voicing aunt jemima or actually trying to be aunt jemima okay Uh, i was just talking about this today how many times have you and i made something where you were like i am completely and utterly unsatisfied with tad's voice acting i'm just going to put my voice over tad's (laughs) (laughs) so uh jeff jeff talker a frequent podcast guest has done this as well we we i have made several short films in the past featuring them and i have uh i think dubbed the vast majority of their lines there was a second reason though uh, at this, I am not ashamed at this point to say my life while I redubbed them, which is that several of them did not have scripts. So there were I mean, no lines. Um, yeah, there were no lines. In fact, I think uh, for one of our uh, our first successes, Fight 2, I think I had you guys say gibberish and, and Jeff said incredibly yes, just, terrible things. We we Yes, we moved our mouths because we went, Nate's just going to put his voice over this anyway, so what do we care? Yeah, and it, and the, there was some pretty foul, uh, very, very. We were like what nineteen twenty. Like yeah. I'm sorry, Nate. I didn't, that, go, I didn't go. I didn't. You know, go to acting school. You know, I don't know how to act. Well, sorry. It, it's uh, it's clear. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is totally no. It, and I and I'm loved. But yes, there's definitely flashbacks of that. Um, that said though, uh, and and Corinne brought this up. This is a remarkably diverse cast. Um, the side characters are. Um, there's some Latino characters on the side. There are several black characters. There are white characters, and there are many um, Asian characters. I assume most of them are, are Hong Kong Chinese, but uh, it's not guaranteed. I was gonna say this was one of the most. Um, th- this movie had one of the most American scenes I'd ever seen, which was a guy from Hong Kong shows up on a boat, and another Hong Kong guy marries a black girl in yeah. the middle of the park. <laughs> like that's like that's fucking America <laughs> right there. Yeah, so and that's true. And I and I do love that. And the, the main character we're talking about with the dubbing, there there's one of the gang members and a and just a side character that's in one scene that have like really like extreme like uh break into electric boogaloo like the the jive you know, turkey in the, the, the jo- mart. Are you yes. talking about that character? Yes, I that am. Was, they're pretty they're pretty that, extreme. That guy caricatures. like who heard of Chris Tucker and thought someone described Chris Tucker to this white man and I, that's I, what he did it was or Chris Tucker saw this and was like that's it that's my <laughs> that's, future that's um, my future that's my future and and shout out to Chris Tucker I adore Chris Tucker I I welcome him back into the movie fold uh, the fifth element come out able. what year did the fifth element come out it was after this wasn't it uh we can we can while while our producers check that up um the other character <laughs> that was uh that was sort of dubbed with questionable quality was um krung's uncle his wife and it's this great scene where jackie chan comes into the the mini mart sees a presumably chinese woman and and introduces himself and then starts to give her a gift for the my uncle's bride at which point his uncle walks in and goes not everyone here is my bride and to which this seemingly much younger uh black woman runs up and uh and kisses him and jackie chan just has this kind of confused look and it's just this really great scene because it could have and by the way i think if it was an, a direct american film it would have and that's not to say there's not racism in asian films by any stretch but if it was an american film there would have been a very direct like reference to the mixed race couple and uh and this wasn't it's just sort of a shock moment uh, like a surprise 
and uh, and I it it works because you know we're all stereotyping people as we watch these movies, and uh, it broke the stereotype. So good on them. And the Fifth Element was ninety seven, so it was produced in ninety six. I was uh, the closest you, without going over. That's correct. You you win the. Oh, I win the ability to whatever, watch the fifth element again. Whatever appliance they give away on those shows. I'm, I've never been a game show person. Okay, so <clears throat> we have these. Well, let's ask Corinne. Corinne, you popped in a little bit, but I, I know you hadn't seen this film because I uh, harassed you about it. And what was your expectation of this movie versus what you actually got? Um, My, I think the first Jackie Chan movie I remember seeing was Shanghai Noon. And my my whole family watched it like a million times over. Um, and so I I just love Jackie Chan and um just like how Mandy was saying, just this the things he can do with his body are incredible. And um <laughs> there's like a Tumblr thread called Humans Are Space Orcs. And it's just where like if aliens were real and they were to come to Earth, they would be confused by how humans like survive. You know, oxygen kills us slowly, but it's we also needed to live. And like we bare our teeth to show we're happy. And like that's usually a sign of aggression. But like there's a joke that like the aliens would be like, humans can turn anything into a weapon. And there's a, they have a whole file on Jackie Chan because anything in his hands becomes a weapon. And and so the scene in the early on in the Mart where he fights the guys and like uses his jacket to like trap the guy's arms. So the guy's behind him and his arms are like tucked into the jacket. And the, but the guy is stuck to Jackie Chan, and then every time he's he doesn't apologize, Jackie Chan just elbows him very quickly in the face. And I'm just like, yeah, like that guy made his jacket like a deadly weapon. And then when we saw the water skiing scene, I know he has shoes slash a cast on because he broke a foot. I mean, I I even said to you, I go, that's him, because I'm just like, oh, yep. he's deadly on water too. It's like there is nothing that Jackie Chan can't do. <laughs> and I mean, there were shots that I was like. I hope he only had to do that once like jumping. I mean, shots that in an American film would never happen. And if they did, it would be with wires. It would take 10 hours to set up. There'd be a, there'd be a net below and it would never be the lead doing this leap ever, 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 because he broke his foot on one of these leaps and he does several of them throughout the film, but from building to building. And I just remember being like, how, I don't know how you would practice that or if he's just like he is so in tune with his body that he's just like how many feet is it 30 yeah I can do that like I just need a running start like it's just to watch him and the, to do these leaps and land and tuck and roll and you're just like no one else does that <laughs> and like and I don't know I don't know who else could like I don't know what other I know they've talked about like in the Witcher Henry Cavill much to like the programs dismay like he actually does a lot of the fight scenes and they're like we don't want the lead if something happens to you but like and they'll spend you know days choreographing a three-minute fight scene so it's like but the the scenes always turn out well and like he's very physical and the but it just you think of all these action stars today and you're like they just can't they're not jumping from building to building they're not water skiing in tennis shoes and a cast and there it's just like uh shanghai noon like he and he uses like a taxidermy moose head in a saloon fight he uses swords he uses holes he uses and it's just like this movie is gives you just a taste of that like and i think mm -hmm. it's there's actually a little less fighting in this scene than other movies i've seen of his but just his physicality of 
like he's in the he's in the air he's on land he's on the sea like he's just he he takes it into like every element and just he's he's superhuman it's truly incredible to watch it is wild the only other actor i could think of that could compare in terms of how much he did his own work was like samo hung like right the only other guy i can think of another hong kong legend they went to uh opera chinese opera school together They, they they were they collaborated quite a bit behind the scenes yes and uh, and Stanley Tong, the director of this movie, uh, has has done quite a few Sammo Hung films as well. It's interesting that we talk about this because I think one of the it's like when you ask who could do these things, well, it's stunt people, right? And we they're really unsung heroes in American cinema. We do not respect them enough. You know, Ray Park, all of Except these people. For Ray Park, we all love Ray Park, and he we knows do, but them. but so many people don't even know his name. Right? Like really, they know, who, um, they know Darth Maul. His Darth, name's Maul. Darth Maul. Okay, it's good enough. Darth Maul. Um, he he was he was the he was the headless horseman uh, in Sleepy Hollow, uh, but you know holding uh, Christopher Walken's head. Okay, so like that, like it, that was it was Ray Park. That film, but that's for another podcast. Oh, that's another time. <laughs> I like that movie. We'll talk about it sometime. Uh, they're they're interesting things. Um, so Jackie Chan, but again, stunt people, right? And Jackie Chan, of course, is a stunt person. Interestingly, so I mentioned that Stanley Tong directed this film. Uh, he he also, I mean, he directed Jack Chan movies before this, but this was his big one. Uh, he was a stunt director and a stuntman. And interestingly, because he directed Jack Chan's first strike, which was the next, the follow-up, the following year, that they were like, oh, wow, this is box office dynamite in the U.S., so here we go. He, and he did Super Cop and Super Cop 2. He's a stuntman, and he had this rule, uh, apparently, that he would not let his cast do a stunt until he had done it himself so we're talking specifically um interesting on that scene where jackie chan jumps from building to building and we see this in movies all the time but it's it's essentially never real right and if it is real as as corinne mentioned there would be lots of pulleys or or tad lots of pulleys wires etc for safety well in this case stanley tong did the jump and what's really wild about it is it's not from roof to roof it's from roof off of one building to a um like a, a platform fire escape, fire escape or a balcony it's a much and smaller into, target into, to hit yes yeah. and it has a railing right so it's not a flat platform so he had to jump from that roof into onto the platform and roll into the open door of the building and um Stanley Tong did it or tried it with a harness because they're like I mean even they are like we're not going to kill people if we can help it right like let's let's do this with a harness and he and basically he said he decided it couldn't work with the harness. It actually was more difficult and potentially more dangerous because he couldn't make the jump. So what they did was because when you made the when you went to jump, they couldn't see the platform until you jumped, which is crazy pants, right? You could not see where you needed to go until you jumped already. So what they did was they taped off the direct area, and basically Jackie Chan had to like make sure that he jumped straight from that area, and he did it on the first try. Okay, so, and as you said, Corinne mentioned, like, you let's pray they hope they got these things on the first. Well, when they did, they would not do it again, would be my guess, because it's there's no reason, it's too risky. Uh, a scene like that is wild. We literally, you do everything you can, but it, it could have been a death sentence. Any of, so many of these stunts could have ended so terribly. And there were quite a few injuries, as with many Hong Kong actioners on this film. Uh, Mandy mentioned the uh, street race with the motorbikes that introduces us to the street gang 
where um, uh, I always have a hard time saying her name. It's not Francois. It's like Francoise. Uh, but Francoise Yip is writing, uh, is racing another woman on Kathy Hubble, who was listed as Tony's gang member. Tony's, thank you. And and I believe, I'm not sure, I believe she's a stunt person. Um, <clears throat> and they're both riding alongside, they ride down the street and then they turn around and ride over the tops of all the parallel parked cars and crushing the windshields and stuff. It's a great scene. It looks really cool. It is deceptively dangerous as found by, I believe, two stunt people, including the um, woman that you mentioned, Corinne. Kathy Hubble, yeah, she's... Thank you. There's footage of her at the end of the film getting taken away on okay. a stretcher because yeah, two, yes, she broke two a leg. stunt people broke their leg doing that stunt, and Francois the Yip also broke her leg doing the stunt. So it's one of those things where it's really not clear to us as the viewer when something works, it's not clear how difficult it really was, right? I mean, you had one scene that essentially for some people is kind of a throwaway, like interesting scene that they put the effort into, and three people broke their legs. Right, Jackie Chan uh, busted an ankle, many injuries, but you know th that's what they kind of expect going in, uh, and it really—it's for the final product. Certainly, no one should make anybody do these things, but it looks amazing. It really has this level of realism because people are actually doing these things. Um, Corinne also mentioned the, the famous scene, and this is one of those movies where that they did in some of Jackie Chan's movies, especially his early ones, where they'd have, um, and I mean, then they did it on with Rush Hour and Shanghai Nights and Shanghai Noon, et cetera, where they play outtakes at the end. And in the beginning, they weren't usually just funny outtakes. They were stunt outtakes. And that's what this one is. So we see people fail. We see him getting his head bonked. We see all these things. And we see him break his ankle, or at least seriously injure his ankle, jumping from like a bridge pylon, I think onto uh, the moving hoverboat. And uh, we can see right away, it, it does not land right. And then we see that during the, uh, you know, essentially barefoot skiing, I mean, yes, he has shoes on, but the barefoot skiing scene where he's being drugged for quite a while behind this hoverboat, uh, he actually has the, the, the casted ankle and they've pulled a sleeve that has the shoe, shoe design printed on it over it. So you can't see from a distance. And he did that. And you got to assume that did not feel good. Casts protect you and you can knock on a cast and it's fine. But that is a lot of pressure uh, on your body. And it's 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 extreme. And the fact that he he's done that, and uh, I think hopefully he's moved to the point where he's not going to risk a lot of these things anymore. Uh, this was, you know, 30 years ago, but still an amazing stuntman. And this is what happens when you put someone who knows the physicality of, of a job who understands um, physical comedy as well and physical acting and understands stunt work. All of those things come together to make someone that, as everyone has said, appears superhuman. And it is really wild and it amounts to just an excellent film. And I, I wish that we would start casting more on the combined package that people can offer a movie versus just appearances. And we are moving to that direction, I think, in some ways. And in other ways, we're not, right? Like, you you just, it's still a production environment. You still have producers and film companies and, and money that says, no, people are going to go see this because, and I'm going to pick on Scarlett Johansson, because Scarlett Johansson's 
right? They're not going to do it. And no shade, just called trans. I mean, she's made some questionable decisions, but I get it. Uh, so she's also a delight. So, but that's the case. I do want to, before we move on to recommendations for this, I want to talk about what we really haven't touched on, which is the famed Jackie Chan, and Corinne mentioned it, stunts and like the fight choreography with um, uncommon materials, right? There's other movies. I think Jackie Chan's first strike, he does an amazing thing with a ladder. Uh, but in this, he's at one point, he like jumps under and through a grocery cart. Um, he he knocks people into pinball machines and then does like a backflip over the pinball machines. There's these, I, I don't know what they're actually for. There's like some sort of scaffolding, I think, where it's like, uh, it looks like playground equipment. It's like half a circle of metal bars um, that you could presumably walk over or something, but they're in like a rooftop and there's a couple of them laying around because, you know, uh, they did understand that the Bronx is covered with trash, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> they set it up. And, uh, and he does crazy things with them, hitting people with them, jumping through them, doing these awesome uh, acrobatic bits mixed with martial arts. And uh, it's in here. So if that's what you watch Jackie Chan I mean, Chan the shopping for, cart? He jumps, like, through a shopping cart? From behind it, just, like, where the handle yeah, like, is? He yeah, goes and underneath then, like, like, it goes, into the cart. Yeah, it goes through the, car, the cart to, like, nail someone. And we see that he doesn't make it on the first try. Right, We see in right. the outtakes. Yeah, yeah he gets just... um, hit by a... A rear view mirror off a truck he gets squished a lot uh these things are difficult uh and he plays it off really well and and that's just something that that i think we got from hong kong movies that america did not understand in in action films for a long time and still has a hard time with which is the hero experiencing pain and difficulty you know we're very we're much more used to um the Steven Seagal never getting hit, you know, the, hey, I, I can do whatever and you can't hurt me and you can't touch me. And yes, Trump and Seagal do sound similar. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we get that sort of impervious, like things get a little different with like Rocky, right? Like there's, there's more thought and intent behind that. It's got to be difficult. There's got to be a physical battle, but they still have infinite numbers of punches against each other, right? Jackie Chan from day one, and I think it's from the uh, operatic training, the history, where there's also a lot of slapstick comedy, right? Physical comedy. Mm. Every hit is felt and reacted to. And it's not against the rules to have the hero defeated occasionally, right? Or injured, or these things make the tension in the movie, even a, a light plotted movie, so much better. So I love doing, I, I just love seeing it. Uh, and he he has that extra overreaction that comes from theater training sometimes to things like whether it's a face seeing somebody pull a gun on him or him like bouncing four times from getting hit once like it's just this really great overly dramatic physicality that's it doesn't take too much time but it has this extra oomph to every it's, single move it, it's very obvious he has theater training because he does motions that you'd be able to see from the cheap seat like he gets exactly. hit he falls and then he gets up and goes oh like he puts hands on it like both hands on his chest and like curls and I was like oh that hurt or he'll like like oh like throw his head back and like oh that hurt. like <laughs> it's it's very obvious he's had theater training and it I also wonder though if that comes from being someone who you know did movies you know started doing American movies did not speak the language at first and like it was like oh well I can show you what I'm feeling I don't have to say oh like I wonder if it has yeah, part of that. Yeah, physicality. But also 
is a universal physicality to show what's going on but also it's very obvious he's had theater training just the way he moves on screen and it's it's actually an interesting point because you know there were plenty of us who started saw for the first time jackie chan in undubbed unsubtitled bootlegs and and tape and tapes from overseas right i mean the 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 cassette the video cassette trade right didn't necessarily have uh fan dubbing like it does now things are digital now it's much easier to do a fan dub or a sub uh and and a subtitle and we would see like my father and i watched uh i brought it up earlier half a loaf of kung fu i think it was from 78 or something like that um which you know but you kind of got so much without understanding the language and it is because of that extra performance uh, element. So needless to say, I'll start with the recommendations for this. I recommend Rumble in the Bronx. Uh, Jackie Chan at one point, especially where a scene, there's a scene where he's being struck uh, by bottles and broken bottle glass from the street gang. And there's more blood than, uh, he said there's more blood in this than I'm used to in my movies. And I'm worried that people will have an issue with their kids seeing it. thought that was interesting because of course it's not, you know, so it is a little grittier, but it's nothing like, you know, I mean, if you've, if you've seen Redfield where it's over the top, people exploding, arms being ripped off, granted it's comedic effect. Uh, this is nowhere near that, right? I mean, you, Law and Order has reenactment scenes that are worse by far. So uh, that's interesting. I do think this is a movie that you could, you could show a young kid, like an eight-year-old will be fine with this, right? Um, and they're going to enjoy it because it's action-packed. There's not too much bad language. I think there's one F word in there, um, which is usual. That's the cap usually for a PG-13 movie. Um, there's no nudity. There's no overt sexuality. I mean, uh, Francois Yip does like a cage dance with a tiger around her because that's her day job, or probably a night job. Uh, and, but I mean, it's, it's, TNT would play it without a second thought at three o'clock in the afternoon, right? There's nothing overly terrible for people, to young people to watch. It's just a fun movie. It's so, and it's action packed. And I mean, the big set piece ending with the hovercraft is fun. Um, I am one of those people who would be like, I'd be much happier with just a big another fight off with Jackie Chan. Uh, in some ways, I think, even though there's billions of cars that get destroyed and all sorts of crazy things that get just damaged and destroyed as they drive this hovercraft through a uh, 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 Canadian street, it probably was easier than choreographing. 10 to 15 minute fight scene because there's just so much work in that so i get it but i recommend it 100 this is my favorite jackie chan movie hands down uh and i and i love others as well if you like this movie check out uh first strike or also known as jackie chan's first strike they this was so successful they followed it up real quick uh that one even has i think a little more goofball to it but it also has some up to the ante uh stunts with like like i said ladders and various odd accoutrements around so that's my recommendation. Mandy, would you recommend Rumble in the Bronx from 1995? If so, why and to who? Uh, yeah, I would for the reasons that we covered. And also, <laughs> you know, five more Jackie Chan movies just to, you know, have a good binge of it. And uh, you can thank us later. Totally. I agree. Uh, I just really can't. I, I can't. I can't say enough. I really love this movie. Even if you are not into martial arts films, it's fun. And you're not going to be bored. There's no boredom to be had. And that's something I will say for Hong Kong movies, especially. They understand how to entertain the audience. And that is 
That is so important. It is the most important thing to understand in film is if you're not entertaining the audience, you have already failed. You already have failed. Um, there's lots of, of course, independent films and experimental films that maybe will try and test the limits of an audience's acceptance. And maybe you can get away with that if you if you have the right audience and you set the right tone, right? If people know it's a slow burn or something weird, they may stick it out longer. But for the if you want something anyone can sit through, you have to be entertaining every scene, every scene. And they understand that. And that's why I will, without understanding anything or, or not, without any prior knowledge of it, I will watch any Hong Kong action movie ever. And I have. And it is brilliant. Uh, Corinne, would you recommend Rumble in the Bronx with Jackie Chan? If so, why and to who? I would recommend this movie. And it kind of is, I think, kind of what you're saying. It's kind of an, an everyman's kung fu movie. Um, you don't need to be really familiar with the genre to get, you know, references or tropes. Um, it's just, you get to watch Jackie Chan be the superhuman that he is. But also, like you said, he said there's blood in it, but this is not a gory movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, like, someone gets thrown through a wood chipper and you don't see one ounce of blood in that scene before or after. Yeah. So like there are violent things happening, but yeah, as far as like, it feels um like how Toonami would edit Dragon Ball Z. So there wasn't any blood. Um, It's like that there's, you can watch this beautiful fight choreography, but it's not super gory. A kid could watch it and be like, Oh, cool. But it's not, it's not gross. And like the women aren't a, a the women aren't objectified in an action movie, which was so exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only time yes. a woman has her pants down is when she's on the toilet. So it's not sexy at all. It's played purely for comedic effect. And both of the people in the scene are like, stop looking. This is weird. Uh, so yeah, this movie I think is, yeah, just a, a really good paced movie that is entertaining. Um, and yeah, you don't, it's not a slow burn. It's just, there's something happening in every scene that keeps the plot going whether the plot makes any sense is you know to could be argued but it's um it's kind of an every man's movie i feel like and i can see how this would kind of launch a career because it's accessible while still being extremely entertaining very accurate and i before i pass it on to tad for the final recommendation of the evening i do want to give a shout out to some other cast members bill tong plays his uncle uh he you know only has a, a couple of scenes in the beginning but he is instantly recognizable he passed away in 2006 but he he essentially plays a character named uncle bill or referred to as uncle bill uh in a huge almost i mean every jackie chan movie that he's in essentially whether he's the police chief he's uncle bill uh whether he's in this he's uncle bill uh, police story uncle bill uh it's it's it was his thing he actually interestingly enough was a uh, a nation-renowned horse race commentator in Hong Kong. And then he, that's how he broke into the movies. Uh, he's been in all sorts of things. He's the sequels to It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, um, all all over the place. He's very Another movie that couldn't be saved, but again, might be for another pod, podcast. And by the way, <laughs> the it's first... a mad, 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 mad world, by the way. You missed yeah, the mad, I think, yeah, in there. Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, true, true. Also, for anyone who's wondering uh, why this movie where we keep referencing some other big Jackie Chan hits of, from the 90s. It's because the, the two writers on this film are responsible for uh, Super Cop and, and Rumble of the Bronx and First Strike. So they're very much in the vein. If you like this movie, you will enjoy the others. I also, last shout out on the cast, because she deserves it, is uh, the, the 
actress uh, who played um, the the shop owner who took over for Elaine. Uh, Jack Chan's uncle, Elaine. Thank you. And she was a pop star first. And she actually was a controversial pop star. Unlike when we think, I think when we think of Asian pop stars now, we think of J-pop and K-pop where it's sort of, not that there are controversies, but just like American girl and boy bands, they're packaged by studios, right? So they're made to be a certain product that's marketed. Whereas um, Anita Moy, who, sorry if I'm terrible with, with pronunciation on that, but she was known for a long time as the Madonna of Hong Kong because she had a very androgynous look and she had sexually explicit by today's means for any stretch but sexually provocative songs uh some of which were pulled from chinese airwaves because of that so she was she was very popular and then she moved into films from that avenue she unfortunately died of cervical cancer in 2003 far too young but uh she does great in this and she did this kind of role in many hong kong films where she's both kind of the cute side character that could be a love interest but also a comedic powerhouse like she she was not afraid to be a goofball um as Corinne mentioned earlier she her store is collapsed around her and she's sitting on the toilet and she does half the scene standing up with her pants around her ankles refusing to pull her pants up um it's it's slapstick but I have a hard time seeing a lot of actresses in any uh, any any country or any genre who are both considered beautiful but also willing to do these over the top to, to look stupid right most of us don't like to look stupid even if it's intentional uh so i i really shout out on that this movie loves the trope put a beautiful girl in glasses she couldn't possibly be the love interest totally totally <laughs> this um, this woman is now hideous because she's wearing glasses <laughs> right i do love though too that she like so the first time she sees jackie chan's character is she's um trying to get his uncle to lower the price to sell her the store. And Jackie Chan is flexing in front of what he doesn't realize is a one-way mirror. So she's watching him. And he then realizes when he comes in that it's a two-way mirror and looks over and she just looks at him and she just mimics his like muscle ape stance at one point. Like, yeah, just makes fun of him. And he's like embarrassed and walks away. And I love that she is not a weak character by any stretch. And she plays the shopkeeper kind of to a T. Um, and it may may seem stereotypical, uh, but it is a she is a tough shopkeeper, and that's super great. I love it. I, I, she just did a great job. So I, it's always fun to see these people who can carry a small side role, um, elevate it on their own merit. So okay, moving on to our final question recommendation. Tad, do you recommend Rumble in the Bronx from 1995? I know you didn't enjoy it. Nathan, this is a Jackie Chan movie. What the fuck do you want me to say? <laughs> So you recommend this? Do you recommend it to any group in particular? Yeah, people. People. Okay. So yeah, so people love Jackie and Chan, and, the and they love Jackie Chan movies. I mean, it's true. Um, so. if you're if you're maybe I'm, I don't want to I don't want to sort of generationalize things. If that's are we are we trying to shoehorn people in Nathan? Are we saying that well, this is not an all-inclusive film? No, no. I do think it is an all-inclusive <laughs> film. But I think that there is a generation of, I mean, we're millennials here. I do think there is a generation of people after us now who really don't have a background with Jackie Chan. Perhaps they saw Shanghai Noon or Rush Hour, maybe. But 
um, especially with Brian, uh, not Brian Singer, with, um, uh, I forget his name, who directed Rush Hours. Um, but, you know, since he's he's been, you know, effectively thrown out for being sexually inappropriate, these movies are kind of, they haven't been carried forward to the next generation. And they certainly haven't, I don't think, understand the, the huge bad impact in a way that Jackie Chan had in the U.S. I mean, we had a cart, a Saturday morning cartoon show where he was the lead character, but he did not voice the lead character. That's how famous he was at that point. Somebody else did an impersonation of Jackie Chan's voice to play Jackie Chan in Jackie Chan Adventures, the animated show. And all he did was sort of like R.L. Stein did, right? At the, at the end, he would have a little like um, uh, G.I. Joe, um, the more you know, and knowing is half the battle moment um usually about working out or how he does things he'd answer questions from fans. this might be a so, skip generation thing nathan because after us it's been anime when everyone gets tired of anime they'll want something retro and they'll go back to kung fu i'm doing my part my kids are growing up on kung fu films as a matter of fact my two-year-old watched this film with and he loved it yeah i well we've been seeing now it's a different tone and this is for a whole another conversation but we have been seeing a resurgence of sort of spaceman films, right? Space was always like in the 50s, it was this huge deal. And even in the 70s, we had some where it got more cerebral, like we talked about silent running and things like that. Um, it, it, and, and then we moved away, just like we've moved away from Westerns and somewhat away from martial arts. And it is cyclical when people rediscover it and it comes back. And people like um, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, people who have a very strong love for the cinema that they experienced growing up are pushing forward uh, these, these older genres and films to another generation. And I, I'm very grateful for it. And that's one of the things that I wanna do here on Cult and Classic Films podcast is remind people that these genres exist. And I am a strong believer that in every genre, I would even say erotica, in every genre, there is a film for someone. No genre, uh, a romance, a drama, there are those films that you will enjoy. You. There's no excuse not to experience other genres. And of course, martial arts is much beloved here. And that, and that film for me is horror. When are we, we doing will talk horror, about, Nathan? We will talk. We will one day discuss this film. It is on the list. <laughs> Those of you listening who have no idea what we're talking about, it is actually called horror. Uh, and it is, it is a legitimate film. So not that we wouldn't do illegitimate films on this pod. We're fully open to that. So thank you all so much. Please like and subscribe. Please follow us uh, and rate us on whatever podcast platform you listen. It helps others find us. Please go to cultandclassicfilms.com. Sign up for our newsletters. They are great. They will be enjoyable and we don't spam you. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week with part two of Fighting Dirty, where we talk about a really great Turkish martial arts film. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's pretty cool. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights 
privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.